Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. It's the annual Choice Music Prize preview special with John Barker from Tilt and Tilt the live show as well. The radio show, the live show. Uh, what other tilts uh, do you have, John? Well, who knows in the future, you know, my third child might be called Tilt. Um, we might uh, have a TV show called Tilt. Ooh, that'd be nice. You know, if we buy a dog at some point, we'll call it Tilt. Wow, you've got it all sorted. <laughs> We're here to talk about the Choice Prize, the Irish Album of the Year for 2023. We're going to go through all of the shortlisted acts for the Irish Album of the Year. There are other categories as well that, to be honest, I kind of um, didn't pay too much attention to in the uh, run-up to this podcast, John. Nobody did. (laughs) Uh, Nobody cares about them. Uh, Irish Song of the Year, Irish Artist of the Year, Irish Breakthrough Artist of the Year, and there'll also be a classic Irish album, which people remember last year. It was awarded to Sinead O'Connor for I Do Not Want What I Haven't Gotten. She was there on the night in Vicar Street, which was a really nice moment, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Dave Fanning presented it to her. Dave Fanning got a standing ovation, and then Sinead O'Connor came out and did a very short speech, and she got a huge reception as well. Uh, can I can I just say, nobody really cares about the other categories. That's, uh, I was being a bit tongue-in-cheek there. The Irish song of the year I actually think is a really relevant category and um, because there are so many great tracks that are released every single year in the Irish music scene so I think that's quite relevant Irish artist of the year breakthrough Irish artist of the year and he, yeah the classic album of the year I think are very kind of tokenistic and I think all they really do is devalue the whole uh, the brand name and the whole competition and, and the night itself and if I'm being honest nobody really cares who wins them Wow, <laughs> we always get off Sorry on, to to, on, a neg- on, a, on a negative. Note. And I, I actually said to you beforehand, yeah, like let's not talk about the extra categories. And here we are, two minutes in, and I'm already giving out about them. But I mean, did, did you while we're talking about it? Did you see the the nominees for I, a breakthrough Irish artist of the year? I mean, John Francis Flynn, the Scratch uh, Oxen are in there. John Francis Flynn and the Scratch have released two albums. What are they? How can they be classified as breakthrough Irish artists of the year? The other two artists are Jazzy and 49th and Main, who I guess would qualify if Definitely. one of them won as Breakthrough Irish Artist. Yeah, well, let's year. hope it's one of those two then. Yeah, I think Jazzy, Jazzy is great. The only way is up for her. Just before we get into the list, we'll call out the judges as well. It was a great year for Irish music. I, maybe we say this every year, John, but uh, some albums that were released last year that easily could have made it into the list. If you don't mind, I have an alternative list or two that I'm, I can... I'm just uh, looking at this out. list now. There's about 50 albums on there. David Kitt, Idiot Check, arguably oh, his best choice. solo album in 15 years. Elaine Malone from Cork with her debut album, Pyrrhic. The Cope with their debut album, Dancer, released a little bit too late in the Maybe year, a little I think, bit too to, late, make, to make a big... First week in December, I think, isn't it? Uh, exactly yeah the 8th of December Oxen uh, up for Irish Breakthrough the artist didn't make it onto the long list for their self-titled album Jape two-time choice prize winner for his latest album Endless Thread big great surpri- album. yeah surprised that that isn't on the list Atramond made a brilliant album as well last year Sensitive Assignments Maya Sophia True Love former choice yeah. prize nominated as well surprised that that didn't make it on there Bridget May Power released an album called Dream from the Deep Well which is really nice Anna's Anchor from Limerick currently based yeah. in America released a brilliant album called The Marys Go Marty 
Natalia Bayless is a really, really cool artist based in the West. I'm going to say Roscommon. I think she released a couple of albums last year, including She Came Through the Window to Stand by the Door. Really, I guess alternative would be one of the words that you could use about that album, but that's a really cool album too. So Bobby Jukebox, uh, a.k.a. Bobby O'Hearn, uh, released a brilliant album called In the Organ Loft at Midnight, which is one of the pop albums of the year, alongside Keelan Sherlock's Teenage Jesus, which I would have loved to have seen on the shortlist. The Bonk, Greater Than or Equal To, is their second album, I think. That's a brilliant release. Alvaretti, also Choice Prize nominated, released an album called Endless Affair and Melty Brains, right at the start of 2023 mm. from The January. Cope. Yeah, from The Cope in December to Melty Brains right at the start of January, their debut album, You, uh, what a year for Irish music. And I haven't even called out the Choice Prize shortlist yet. But man, when you see all of those, I think all of those albums could have easily made it onto the short shortlist. Yeah, I'll throw in Roisin Murphy with uh, Hit Parade and Tandem Felix released a really good album as well. But I, I, I think that the... Like the the shortlist, despite the fact that obviously you can't have every album on it, and despite the fact that you've referenced there a lot of really great albums that came out last year, I think it's a really strong shortlist. And I mean, I don't have any real complaints with it. I don't think you probably do either. And I haven't like it's been pretty well received. I haven't seen a lot of people giving out about it online. You could say that it's predictable, but I remember, and I'm sure you remember, going back maybe ten years ago on that. Um, quite often there there. Every year there there used to be two or three albums that their place in the shortlist was let's just say debatable, and you'd kind of go, oh, really? How did that? How did that make it onto the onto the shortlist? So I think you know this is going to be become the norm now, where predictability is going to be how we classify the Choice Music Prize shortlist every year because the Irish music scene over the last you know seven eight years has been so strong across several different genres that. Like every year, albums are now being released that just have to be on the shortlist. I mean, can you imagine this year's shortlist without albums from Lancome or CMAT or Kojak or Soda Blonde or Rachel Lavelle or John Francis Flynn being on that shortlist? Like it wouldn't have made sense. You couldn't have had um, a shortlist without those albums being on it. So I think every single year it's going to be, become the norm where we have a, a very predictable kind of safe shortlist and that is good let us embrace <laughs> predictability when it's in that particular context can i say just w- one other thing about the shortlist um it's good to see as well that there's only two debut albums on it in previous years we've had lots of kind of debut albums on the shortlist and i mean well, the the two debut albums that i'm referring to are rachel lavelle and ezra williams i'm not really going to count green chatton's a solo debut album as his debut album so there's only two kind of real debut albums on it and like for me, that's a really positive sign that the acts that we saw emerging and that me and you would have talked about a few years ago and would have gone, God, these guys have got so much potential, such as Soda Blonde and Kojak and the Murder Capital and the Scratch and Lancome and even CMAT, when you think of all the stuff that she would have done with Bad C before she became CMAT, these acts are now making a career out of music. You know, they're not just making singles and maybe one album and then that's it, that's it they're finished. They're making a career out of music and they're going through their 20s and even early 30s uh, and they're on to album number two, three and four and it's it's great to see. It's a really positive sign for the Irish music scene. Yeah, um, I'll call out the shortlist just so I presume people know or, or have have come across it lately but it's Green Chatton, Chaos is Chaos for the Fly, CMAT up for her second album, Crazy Mad for Me, 
John Francis Flynn, Look Over the Wall, See the Sky, Kojak, Phantom of the Afters, Lancome, False Lancome, Rachel Lavelle, Big Dreams, Soda Blonde, Dream Big, The Murder Capital are up for Gigi's Recovery, The Scratch are up for Mind Yourself, and Ezra Williams is up for Supernumeraries. The judges, just so you know, before we go any further, the people who will be in the room on the night deciding it, not in front of an audience though. Uh, Robert Brown from Chord Blossom, Northern Irish Music Website, Siobhan McAndrew from BBC Radio Ulster, Betta De Silva, who does a new music show uh, daily in the evening on RTE2FM, Alana McGee from Other Voices, Kate Mulder, a journalist, Dylan Murphy from District Magazine, Sive Downs from RTE Entertainment, Emer Shannon from Today FM, Louise Duffy from RTE Radio 1, Ava Summers from Beat 102, and John Loftus from 8 Radio, and they'll all be chaired by Jim Carroll, I think one of the founders of the prize years and years and years ago. Uh, lots of radio people on that judging shortlist which is just something to note i think when you're thinking about who might win will they have that kind of could you imagine it being played on the radio so just keep that in mind as we're going through each list will we get into it john yes let (laughs) us please get into it going to start with Green Chatton, Chaos for the Fly, Fontaine's DC have been nominated for all of their all al- three albums. All three albums to date and haven't won it. No. Yeah, will Green Chatton be the first person from Fontaine's DC to win? I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> um we we will find that on March the 7th. I I'm not really sure what to make of this album. I mean, there were a lot of albums released last year and there, there was a lot of great albums to listen to and but I like I'm a massive fan of of Fontaine's DC and I love what Green has done with Leftfield and K Tempest and more recently with with Kneecap. So I would have like automatically assumed on that I would love this album and like I've definitely found myself listening to other albums a lot more than than this album. I don't I don't feel like I'm very familiar with it and I don't know have I been, have I been put off by a feeling that this is just a side project that doesn't warrant the same attention as a as a real album should get. I feel like the album went a little bit slightly under the under the radar, but it it is a it's a really good album. Um, I think it highlights the facts that the it highlights the fact that his lyrics have gotten far better maybe than in, in earlier Fontaine's songs. I think it's a it's an example of how ambitious Green is, um, and I think it shows that he's a he's a really really good songwriter. I mean, if you look at if you listen to songs like The Score, Bob's Casino, Fairleys. Last time, every time, forever is a great song. They're all so really, really well written, and 
yeah, I'm like I'm I'm in awe of what he does, and I'm I'm in awe of what the the Fontaine's lads are doing at the moment. I just think with with this album, there probably aren't enough really good songs on it to make it a serious contender for the Choice Music Prize. When you compare it to some of the other albums that we're going to be discussing over the next hour or so. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised by my relationship with this album as well, just because I'm a huge Fontaine's fan. And you listed out some of those songs that he's featured in over the past year. That feature with Kneecap is so great. And he does have a really distinctive voice. But there's something about the album that, like, I find my attention kind of drifting all yeah. the time. Um, he says that he wrote the songs in hotel rooms on the Fontaine's American tour and then he recorded it in between tours in about a two-week gap. He went into the studio with Dan Carey who works with the Fontaine's lads to record this album. So when you are talking about a side project, I think that that's kind of the definition of it, isn't it? It's kind of in between everything else that's going on. And I know the Fontaines are uh, tentatively coming back soon. I think that they've announced some tour dates and it does kind of feel like he'll be putting this behind him. Kind of a weird album cover as well. I don't know if we talk about the album covers much, but even that just kind of seems a little bit, was there a lot of thought put into it? But it is a self-reflective album as well. He told Annie Mack in an interview for the Irish Times that it's very much like a fantasy and imagination and introversion and retreating because I think that's what I needed to nurture when I was on the tour. A lot of it was quite misanthropic and bitter. I was really drawn towards darkness. Um, And there are some dark parts in there. There's also a lot of light parts as well. Backing vocals come from his fiancée, Georgie Jessen. Um, Some really nice moments and some really interesting parts i think particularly in the second half of the album but ultimately i'm kind of like but by the end of it i'm just kind of like oh is is that it it still hasn't fully clicked for me but that's green chatting anything else you want to say about green no yeah no like i i kind of i think we we both are agreeing with each other in in the sense that it's a good album there's some really good songs on it they're the ones that I, i referenced and i think the rest of them are just nice songs and yeah, overall, I didn't feel like I had a lot of gras for it any time I, I listened to it. It didn't really resonate with me too much. But can't wait for Fontaine's to come back. Yeah, can't wait for that. Oh, what do we like? You Crazy Mad for me is next up her second album and obviously looking to retain the choice prize John tell me about Crazy Mad for me now if, if anybody was listening to last year's podcast between the two of us and can remember what I said I'll, I'll uh, refresh their memory I like I, I was a, a fan of CMAT and her debut album without ever thinking it was as amazing as maybe a lot of other people did including yourself on but it's got some really good songs in it but I, I like I just yeah it, it never really i never had a, a real kind of strong connection with it this album however crazy mad for me i i adore this album i've listened to it hundreds of times it's been my most listened to album of the last six months and like 
I love the album so much that I've gone through spells of of having like favorite songs from the album that I've listened to oh, like way too much. Like Dean and my wife is like, "Will you stop listening to that song?" So it started off with "Can't Make Up My Mind." I mean, what a song that is! Like I sent it on to so many people. I was like, when the album came out, I was like, "You have to listen to this song," and I just played it to death. And then it was Rent. Every every time I'd get an opportunity, I'd listen to Rent. Then it was Vince and Company, and then it was Where Where Are Your Kids Tonight. Which initially I was like, "Oh, I'm not sure about that as a single." And what a song that is! And and then finally, I got like t- towards the end of the album, and Torn Apart became my the soundtrack to my life for about two weeks. So um, yeah, I, like I love this album, and I, like I saw CMAT for the very first time in the Olympia Theatre with you recently. That was before Christmas. And um, I listened to her yesterday in a food podcast. She did an episode of a food podcast called Off Menu, in which she is absolutely brilliant. I would, I would recommend to everybody listening to this to go and have a listen to that. And when you put all of those things together, I've come to the conclusion, like a lot of people before me, that she is a superstar. She's a genius. And uh, I'm 100% in love with her. And in, in terms of the this album, like bar maybe song two, which is called Phone Me, uh, I think it's a near perfect album. I think the songwriting, the production on the songs on this album are far superior to the songs on the debut album. And even live, if, if you remember when we went to see her in the Olympia Theatre, like the, the older songs from the debut album, not felt flat but they certainly there wasn't as much energy in those songs i felt anyway uh, as there was in the newer songs so even live the newer songs sounded uh, a lot better than the than the older songs and you kind of look at her and you think like i can't wait to see how big she gets over the next year outside of ireland like the next year or two i think we seem really going to be absolutely huge uh, and yeah. what, what did you think of the album oh i mean it uh, I, I loved it from the start. I knew that she was going to create something really special. And um, maybe initially you are comparing it to your relationship with the first album. And it takes a while for you to develop the same kind of relationship with this album. Just because that first album has memories of, you know, songs that get you through lockdown and everything. And I don't think there's... Uh, there are some lockdown references, I think, in this one. But yeah, she's had such a great last six months. She was on the Graham Norton show. She was on that... Um, food podcast. She was also on another podcast with Alan Carr as well. So she's kind of ticking all the boxes that you need to tick to just continue getting bigger and bigger and bigger. She's got a UK and US tour coming up. She's playing Fairview Park in the summer. So the rides of CMAT shows absolutely no signs of stopping. And I think her songwriting on this is unbelievable. You mentioned Rent. It sounds like an anthem of a gen- for a generation uh, live. It's unbelievable. No, I was just I'm nodding my head here because I when she performed that in the Olympia Theatre a few months ago, it was like an anthem, wasn't it? Yeah. Um. You mentioned where are your kids tonight. You didn't mention that that that's her collaboration with John Grant, who is also a huge fan, who has sung her praises and has said that Ireland has taken note of notice of CMAT, and now the rest of the world is taking notice as well as an album. Um, I, th- I think it works really well. I think it's kind of uh concepty she calls it an abstract breakup album about what happens when you're still angry about something that happened 10 years ago yeah there there are some really cutting lines in here you see yeah you see cmat at her worst i suppose in many ways but you also see her getting over that as well um 
like by the time that we get to the final song have fun which is a track that didn't make sense until i kind of saw it live and realized what you're sort of supposed to you're supposed to take it very uh head on um stay for something the song that precedes it is probably my favorite irish song of last year um i think it's a brilliant album it just gets better and better and better every time that i listen to it uh wouldn't be surprised if she retains a choice prize and that song live was incredible as well we could just talk about that live show (laughs) she's she's just unbelievable in every way no notes it wasn't just the music it was her performance it was like everything she said to the crowd was perfect you know she she is uh she's a wonderful wonderful performer and uh like that gig stayed at me for weeks afterwards John Francis Flynn, Look Over the Wall, See the Sky, his second album. Do you want to go first on this one? Yeah, I don't mind going first, but I, I can I, like, I'll, I'll throw it back to you because you got the opportunity to interview him, I think. Did you meet him in Fairview Park? And we did, did, yeah, yeah. We kind yeah, of met how, in a cafe. We met in a cafe and we realized, well, I realized anyway that, oh, this isn't a good sound for, for a podcast. All you can hear is other people talking and stuff. So we went 10 minutes down the road and into Fairview Park. Then when we got there, there was a, a tractor cutting the grass right behind, <laughs> and it was like fuck's sake. And it was November, yeah. so it was only like thirty minutes. But we were both freezing afterwards. But uh, doesn't that kind of tie in though with his album "Look Over the Wall, See the Sky"? Because because you do have a majority of the songs you have um, this kind of introduction of electronic sounds and atmospheric sounds and a bit of instrumentation. So I'd say that that might have fitted in. Yeah. Quite, and quite well. I mean, one, one of the themes, I guess, is just the changing face of Dublin. Anyway, Ireland as well. And I think I think as we were walking anyway, we passed so many cranes in the sky and so many apartments being built and stuff. And he was kind of just talking about how things have changed, even in his immediate vicinity where he's from but was he saying for the worse or for the better um or just like stating the obvious that this city's changing um i i i would presume that it's a little bit for the worse um i, I can't remember off the top of my head i think a lot of people would probably say that it's there's something about dublin's heritage that's not in the new um projects that are mm. being built the new apartments even though that's a you know the housing crisis and everything it's what it's what's needed it's what's needed though but yeah yeah, from the album cover itself which is a creme de month he's talking about paddy wackery and the view of ireland from around the world and uh that's addressed in some of the songs and the whole idea behind it is taking these old songs because they're all old songs there's no original the zoological gardens mole in the ground um dirty old town of course everybody knows those tracks or certainly everybody knows dirty old town and he wanted to do something a little bit different so he was playing around with them he's done those gigs in 
Temple Bar as well, which you can imagine what they're like. But there's something new about what John Francis Flynn does. And I guess that that comes back to his collaborators. Brendan Jenkinson is the most obvious who people will know who's worked with uh, the likes of Villagers in the past, has worked with a whole load of other bands. Uh, RF Cheney, who uh, was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, is in there as well on percussion. You have Cayman Gilmore to adding some really, really interesting stuff on um bass he's he's in the crash ensemble and you hear that from the start with zoological gardens it sounds like this classic irish song it's just john uh singing the song and then suddenly it sounds like there's a helicopter coming in (laughs) all of these new sounds come into it and what people will say about look over the wall see the sky is that he's taking folk and trad into a different direction and i think he admitted it in the podcast interview with me as well that that's what he kind of wants to do not that i think he's bored with it in any way but i think he's just interested what happens when you try and update it mm. no definitely and exactly what happens when you try and update it and, and uh, what happens when you take a genre of music that we're all very familiar with and you experiment with it and you can see what different kind of sounds can come from it and it's a really exciting time for irish folk music at at the moment um, especially when you, you have like artists like John Francis Flynn trying to progress it and, and develop the, the genre. And there's no denying the, like, the increase in popularity in Irish kind of folk music and ballads and trad music. And at the forefront of it all are, are acts like Lancome and uh, John Francis Flynn and Lisa O'Neill and the Mary Wallopers and Oxen and Junior Brother, to name but a few. And it's really interesting to see how the likes of John Francis Flynn have taken like elements of folk and trad music and, and blended them with modern alternative arrangements and uh, different pieces of instrumentation and uh, electronic sounds. And he, as you said, he's kind of taken songs that feel old, that still feel old when you listen to them, but he's also made them sound incredibly new and fresh. Um, and he's got that, yeah, that kind of very unique, would you call it a folk tronica sound that, that he that he has. But there, there are times on the album when you know, you're listening to like the Zoological Gardens or Willie Crotty or um, even like Within a Mile of Dublin, which is like an instrumental track uh, on on the album. And all of a sudden, these beautiful uh, electronic sounds or different pieces of of, a very kind of slight instrumentation are introduced to a song. And it almost feels like here's this beautiful uh, feeling of two separate songs being merged together. Uh, I love his vocals on the album. Like he, he... uses his vocals like similar to what junior brother does with his with his vocals john francis flynn uses his vocals as, as an instrument you know he uses the, he his range with his with his vocals are are really really clever and they come across as genuine and believable and there's a real kind of sense of isn't there like a, a sense of grief and mournfulness on the album but there's also like a glimmer of hope as well at, at times which is really hard to do and but all of these kind of emotions are carried along by john's his vocals, which are are almost vulnerable, aren't they? Um, and yeah, I like. I'm I'm a massive, massive fan of of this album. I, I think it's great, and I think it's uh, it's yeah, it's just really, really original. And it's an album that uh, I haven't got sick of listening to over the last few months since it's been released. Can I ask you one more question? Sorry, because we we haven't spoken about this before. Is he when you're interviewing him? Is he a deep thinker? You know, 
is there is there like a an element of fun and a bit of sense of humor when you're talking to him or was it a serious enough conversation yeah i think he considers the questions and he considers his answers and maybe how he comes across as well there's a great interview with him on the quietus that i would urge people to check out as well really really long really in depth uh i got loads from it um, and I love chatting with him. I think, yeah, I think he's a really, really good interview as well. If people are looking for someone to talk with. Phantom of the Afters, his third album, follows Towns Dead and the debut album, Delhi Daydreams. Um, how does this rank for you in the Kojak uh, tiers? Oh, it's it's easily easily his best, uh, like from start to finish, it's his best piece of work. I mean, I, I interviewed Stephen Byrne, the editor of Golden Plec on the, on the show before Christmas, and he said that, well, if this is Kojak's masterpiece, then this is as a result of that, the best Irish hip hop album that's ever been released. And, you know, you can't really, can't really argue with that, <laughs> even though you're, it looks like you're about to, but I, I love this album. I've listened to it so much since uh, it's been released. And if, if people aren't a- aware of it, like the, the kind of loose enough narrative behind it is, is based on Kojak himself, Kevin Smith leaving Dublin to go and live in London and he kind of documents this through the character of Jackie Dandelion who is uh, like a cliched stereotypical 80s kind of car salesman type figure like he's a he's a little bit dodgy but you know he's not the worst person ever and the uh, name comes from the name comes from so when I interviewed uh, Kevin a few months ago about this album I asked him you know, the name Jackie Down the Line, is that taken from the Fontaine's DC song, Jackie Down the Line? And he said, yeah, absolutely. He 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 loves that song. It's one of his favorite songs. And he's a massive fan of uh, of Fontaine's DC. And the more you kind of talk to him, you realize like, he really promotes other Irish artists. He references them the whole time. He's really good at doing that, um, whether it's in his lyrics. I know there was a reference to Pillow Queens in, in one of his previous songs. And um, there are some other references in the songs to other Irish artists, but he's always kind of name-checking artists a lot, um, which which I really like. But anyway, this he kind of documents what it's like to to leave Dublin and go and live in London through this character of of Jackie Dandelion, and you know it's such a strong album. I think in terms of its songwriting and production and just really really catchy songs like there's 
it's there's no kind of filler in there at all. I know th- there might be a slight criticism from some people like yourself that it's too long, but <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd get in there before you did. Wow. Um, and did you see, uh, like before Christmas, Kojak put up what I guess you would call a, a production tutorial on, on Instagram where he went through the making of one of the songs on the album, Heaven Shouldn't Have You, and he goes through the making of the song step by step, and by the end of it, you just realize, oh my God, this he is a brilliant, brilliant producer. The amount of work that went into just creating this song and how he was able to do it and the different effects that he used, et cetera, et cetera, gives you a better appreciation of, of how really good he is as, uh, as a producer. And I saw Kojak in Vicker Street uh, just before Christmas and it was one of my favorite nights of last year. It was, it was a wonderful, wonderful performance. I felt like maybe there could have been a bit more of a like a backdrop on stage. There could have been visuals, maybe even like the album cover of Jackie Dandelion in the background. It was a bit bare. That was probably the only criticism I had with the with the performance. But in terms of the music, you know, Keen Cavanaugh on stage with him and the crowd, and yeah, it was just a great night. I guess Fontaine's DC on their last album also did that kind of thing, talking about Irish people moving to England, England people's relationship with it. Do you like that concept behind it? as well does that kind of tie the album together for you as well yeah i do i like to i mean i think that's what kojak is very good at doing isn't it like obviously town's dead his album before that was all about you know dublin city in the in the year of 2021 2022 and delhi daydreams was obviously a concept album as well so i think that's what i think that makes it easier for him to construct an album and and, and put in like a collection of songs together um and yeah like i like i like a, a theme running through an album and um this particular and again it's kind of like a, a loose enough narrative i mean it's not like every song on the album is is just about that um but yeah yeah there is a i guess a, a concept running through it and uh, it's good yeah no i really 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 like this album i love it and I, I, I mean without jumping the gun if if on march the 7th it was announced as album of the year i think i, I would be very very happy with that <laughs> Uh, he says that he recorded 30 songs for the album. The album is uh, 15 tracks long. And he also says that it's his least conceptual album as well, which I thought was interesting because I've been thinking like it, it took me a long time to kind of figure it out. I still don't know if I do and 100% um, get the ideas behind it. And maybe it is just because it is like not that concept conceptual stop thinking about it so much Owen uh he says that there's only about five songs uh that kind of tie into that idea behind it he says when it came to Phantom of the Afters he's telling this to Kaylin Caffey from uh Clash magazine by the way uh I'd done a concept before and it wasn't that I was trying to completely divorce myself from that idea but I'd done it before and it's not fun if you aren't challenging yourself to try new things and this time it was just about being concise so it is 15 songs long but it is only 45 minutes but I kind of think he gets outshone by some of the stars on this album and when I say stars I'm talking about Big Pig, I'm talking about Wiki, and I'm talking about uh, Sammy Copley as well on The Closer. Big Pig, I think, Woof is the shining star on this album. I think it's the best song on the album, and I kind of think that might be down to Big Pig, even though I think the production on the album is really, really good too. Yeah, really good album. 27 minutes of Delhi Daydreams is hard to beat for me, though. (laughs) Circle down on planet Earth 
Now she is my softly spoken And the children still tell God to The children still tell God to Lancome are next up for False Lancome, their follow-up to the Live Long Day, which won the Choice Prize in 2020, right, as the pandemic was hitting. I think they used their Choice Prize money to get home from America, if I remember correctly. Did they? So look, the prize is 10, 10 grand if you win, so nothing to be sniffed at. False Lancome is, I think we say this about every Lancome album so far, it's kind of their magnum opus, an unbelievable collection of songs an hour and 10 minutes long and when when i say you know with other other albums on this short list like oh it's a little bit too long or something like that um this album just always flies by and every time that i listen to it i'm kind of like okay i'm going to finally you know critique this i'm gonna rip it apart and every time i just get completely swept away by what they do because you really get enveloped in their world um Obviously, these guys slot in very nicely into this new folk, new trad revival. Um, I think their story is really well told at this stage. Um, I think if you love them already, you're just going to love them even more from False Lancome. Um, What do you want to say about this album, John, before I continue? Before I continue? Well, I I need to be a little bit careful with, with what I say with regards to Lancome, because when we did this very podcast back in 2020 and I gave my view on on that particular album that they that we were discussing from them um I got called a, a West Brit by Sarah Corcoran from Pillow Queens at the Choice Music Prize in Vickers Street a few weeks later but um I know that was obviously a joke I hope <laughs> but yeah look for what is it four years later my views haven't really changed all that much on Langham and their music like, I really really admire the band for what they do in terms of experimenting with a, a genre of music and doing something very very new and very original and live they're amazing and it, it's they're amazing to watch and feel that kind of wall of sounds coming back at you and the you know experiencing the impact of, of their of their live sounds but similar to the live long day the songs on falls lancome didn't really resonate with me and i just couldn't find a connection with them and i i, I don't really yeah have any really serious graph for for their music i obviously really liked them and as i said already i really admired them for what they do um, I do actually feel though that this uh, False Langham is a better album than Live Long Day. Um, there's songs on it like Newcastle and Netta Perseus, which I which I really really love. What is it that John Francis Flynn does say with with his sound that Langham kind of don't give you with their sound? That's a really really good question. I think John Francis Flynn's music is is a lot more accessible, um, and I find that like for me vocals are very important when it comes to, you know, finding a connection with, with someone's music. And I, I really, really love John Francis Flynn's voice. And I just think when you're, when you're listening to his music, I, I, I love, as I've stated earlier on in our chat, that I, I love that kind of 
combination that he does between just taking a very kind of simple old song and merging it with these beautiful, you know, uh, electronic sounds and instrumentation. And I love that. I get that. And it, and it res- resonates with me. And it makes me feel, it makes me feel something depending on the song. And I don't, I don't, I don't really get that with Lancome. I feel for me, Jesus, how do I say this? It, it just doesn't resonate with me, their music. It, it feels a little bit showy, a little bit, a little bit hollow. Ooh. Uh, they say that it was mostly written in a Martello tower. I think it was in Dawkey, maybe in an island off Dawkey. I'm not 100% sure where exactly the Martello tower is. I must. I should do more research next time. But uh, Rady Pete told The Quietest that we've become a more extreme version of ourselves. The dark bits are literally horror and the light bits are really, really sweet. The contrast has become heightened. Uh, the theme of the sea is pervasive throughout the record as well. The likes of Netta Perseus was originally called Oceanized. The first line on it is yeah. the woman with eyes like an ocean. So I'm kind of imagining uh, you talking about like what you get from this album. I feel like in ways with that deep drone, they're almost like dragging you to the bottom of the ocean. They're making you see the real dark parts of the ocean. But then you have the likes of Lord Boar and Mary Flynn, which is sung by Cormac McDiarmida. Uh, the first song that he sung for Lancome, and that is just an absolutely beautiful tune. But then you get to the last song, The Turn, which is 13 minutes long. Um, the first nine minutes, you know, it, en- it ends around nine minutes uh, with them singing, we'll see better days. And then suddenly it turns into this deep, dark, horrific drone, and you're just wondering, will we see better days? And maybe that's the whole idea of Lancome. Um when they're opening with a song called Go Dig My Grave, you kind of wonder, <laughs> you know, what does the future hold? But I think this is an absolutely stunning album. Um, I, I I, don't know, John. I can't see any bad parts of this album. And I've tried. I've gone into it. I've literally pressed play and I've been like, OK, let's figure out what I don't like about this album. And I haven't been able to write anything down. Do you prefer False Lancome then to look over the wall, see the sky? And if so, Why? Who prefer? I mean, um, in terms of, do I think that it will win the choice prize? I think that Lancome will probably win it over John Francis Flynn. But um, I mean, I mean, I asked John Francis Flynn about Lancome, and you know, are they doing something similar? Are they doing something different? And he kind of says that they're doing something a little bit different to each other. Um, yeah, I suppose he is infusing these new sounds to it or as Lancome just loved the drone so much that the drone is like the almost the main instrument in a way to Lancome they wouldn't exist without uh, that dark sound and I think you're probably right that they are more of a darker band than uh, John Francis Flynn as well um, maybe that's to be expected when when the two Lynch brothers come from their punk background I left for the bus There was nothing new to me I have a lot of feelings How strange to be living in The bodies change, the face, the skin 
Rachel Lavelle, Big Dreams. We're on to the two Dream albums now. We're going to talk about Soda Blonde in a minute, but first up is Rachel Lavelle with her long-awaited debut album, Big Dreams. She released Perpetual Party back in 2019 or 2020. For a long time, there was very little else, and I wasn't expecting her to release an album last year, but I was very much delighted when it arrived in the autumn uh, really, really stunning collection of songs. I was lucky enough to get to chat with Rachel Lavelle too. So I had been listening to the album before it had gotten released and I was just like, oh my God, this is the album of the year. It's the album of the year. I just kept thinking it every time uh, I listened to it. it. It just really is a world that she creates on this album. You sent me a WhatsApp when this album was released, I think a couple of days after it came out and you were like, album of the year? Yeah, yeah. Uh, she says... Uh, I knew that I wanted it to be called Big Dreams. I knew what I wanted it to feel like. I wanted it to be pleasing to the ear and have a cinematic element to it. And I think she's ticked all of the boxes there. Thematically, I guess it's kind of a millennial type malaise that she's speaking about. Some of the songs are influenced by YouTube pre-roll ads. Uh, There's lots. She talks about soft color palettes and eat clean uh, gratitude as well all of these almost buzzwords in uh, the millennial lexicon she uses other voices really well too she has this the sound of the woman the voice of the woman who does uh, the Lewis announcements <laughs> on a couple of her tracks as well and when, when you're listening to an album like that that does stuff like that it does almost snap you out of it doesn't doesn't it um yeah really really interesting album over to you john you, you uh, i i've interviewed rachel as well you've you've interviewed her i think a couple of times and like this album is exactly the type of album you'd expect it to release isn't it like it, it fits her personality so much yeah yeah she, she's just uh i think she thinks differently yeah. too you know i just think that comes across really really well like the, the this album sounds like nothing else that you you would have heard last year. It is so original. It's it's um I love the kind of arty avant garde kind of feel to to the to the songs, which never kind of feel exclusive. Her vocals are are amazing as well. And I saw Rachel performing in the Project Art Center just before Christmas with uh, a percussionist and Ryan Hargaden on on saxophone and. Seeing the songs performed live, you kind of got a great insight into how they're constructed in terms of the the very kind of subtle p- 
pieces of different instrumentation used and like there might be a part of a song where you look over and, and Ryan picks up the, the saxophone and you're expecting him to launch into this big solo and you're waiting for it and then you look over and he just goes and then puts the saxophone down again oh, okay you know so it's it's all very kind of subtle and it's all really kind of meticulous in terms of all these different sounds being being put to being put together and there's there's so much um attention to detail on the album and everything is perfectly placed from the use of the vocals the percussion the sax the keys and you can tell that like these songs have had hours and hours and hours of of love and attention poured into them and when I interviewed Rachel, uh, that's one of the things that she said to me that um, there were a lot of remakes of all of the songs on, on, on the album. You know, sometimes the songs were nearly ready and she thought they were ready and then she was like, nah, they're not quite ready and she had to pull them all uh, apart and then put them all back together again. And all, all of that sounds really, really frustrating, but she actually enjoyed that whole process of piecing sounds and different aspects of instrumentation together uh, and, and I think that comes across on the album and I remember her saying as well that uh, she can't wait to get back into the studio and start working on album number two so she definitely she definitely enjoyed the process of recording the songs on the album what one of my one of my favorite songs on the album is Night Train I think is that yeah, it's track, my favorite track as well. five is it yeah I think a lot I've heard a lot of people say that um, and she explained that song to me when I was chatting to her on the on the show back in November as being like, you're you're dressed up, you're going out on a Saturday night and you're thinking to yourself, tonight is the night I'm going to meet the love of my yeah, life. Yeah. And you have your all your hopes and dreams ahead and you're going to go, this is the night, you know, this is going to be the night I'm going to look back on when I'm older and go, that was the night. And then all of a sudden you don't meet him and you fast forward to 2 a.m. and you've just bought a bag of chips and you're coming home and you're you've all those feelings of no it didn't work out and I, I i think if you listen to the song and you kind of know that background to it uh it's a really good example of, of a song that took a long long time to continue because the last kind of minute or so just goes off in a completely oh, different tangent so and yeah. it's such a fun fun song to to play and if we had the opportunity right now we could just slip it in and, <laughs> and let everybody have a listen to it but uh, i'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast will be familiar with it and if you aren't go check it out it's called night train but i mean there's so many other amazing songs on the album and yeah it's it's quirky it's unique it's as i said earlier on it's kind of arty but not in a very pretentious way uh and I, yeah i love love this album and i've i've spoken to so many people that this is their album you know this is the album that they love love the most on the shortlist which is really really nice because i think only if you look at the i mean not that you should ever judge anybody by how many spotify streams that that they get but if you look at the like the monthly spotify streams of the 10 artists on the on the shortlist uh, Rachel Lavelle uh, is probably has the lowest i think yeah, i had a look at it so like she is very niche and yet at the same time this album has resonated with so many people uh, and uh, yeah it's an amazing amazing album yeah one final thing about Rachel Lavelle is that big dreams is a really funny album too uh, the opening line to Big Dreams, I'm sure people who know her will know this line instantly. I came for the comedy. I left for the bus. That was nothing new to me. I have a lot of feelings. It doesn't quite work as a poem, but man, it kind of nails a certain, oh, yeah. a certain her, lifestyle. It's her delivery as well. It's incredible. And even at, even at the gig, it, like at times it was like a comedy show. Like everything she said in between, just everything she said had, had the crowd in stitches. You know, she's got a, a wonderful personality and sense of humor. And um, yeah, like... 
it would be great if she won it, wouldn't it? We'll have to wait and see. Somebody's been yelling in my head that you're the wrong one. Somebody's been spelling it out for me that I am too strong for you. So from big dreams to dream big, Soda Blonde are next up with their second album, Dream Big. You're a big fan of Soda Blonde. I got to interview them as well. They're just this band who are really, really impressive, aren't they? They're they're able to kind of see the, the widescreen picture. And that's a very deliberate word that I use because I think that their music is very big. It's very widescreen. They just know their way around the chorus, don't they? Yeah, and like here's a collection of musicians that we've all been following for years and years and years. I mean, Little Green Cars have been well, we're together since what 2009, 2010, and it's been lovely to see the four of them in the band kind of grow and mature and become like lovely human beings and also really great musicians. And one of the things I like about this year's shortlist that I didn't reference earlier on is that you could, would you agree with this? On you could argue that seven of the ten acts who are on the shortlist, they released an album last year that is their best piece of work yet. Ezra Williams and Rachel Lavelle released their debut album, so we've, we've nothing compare, to compare them to. And maybe Green Chatton's album isn't as good as anything that Fontaine's DC have released. But for the other seven on the shortlist, I think you could, you could look at each of them and go, yeah, the album that they released last year is the best album that they've released yet. Um, maybe. I haven't thought about it too much. I'm putting um, you on the spot here, but yeah, you're, yeah. you're looking at the shortlist there. I have some faves, but I mean, if, if you're to take it from, try and take it from an objective point of view, I mm. guess that all bands want to do better than their last work. I think particularly Soda Blonde um, have done something really, really good with Dream Big, all right, yeah. Yeah. They're an interesting band to look at as well, because despite the fact that they all look like they're still in their early 20s, <laughs> the band, as I said earlier on, have been playing together for 15 years since the early days together of being in Little Green Cars. And I think on Dream Big, they've managed to write and record a collection of songs where like every single person in the band, all four of them are at, at the top of the game in terms of musically and uh, creatively. This album is like peak Soda Blonde in terms of that beautiful sound that they have and how the four fit so well musically together. The production, the artwork is incredible. The visuals are probably better than they were on, on Small Talk as well, which is their their debut album. And I, like for me, I think the strength of this album can be measured by the non-singles on the album. Like the, the non-singles on the album are easily as good as the as the singles. Like songs like My First Name, Less Than Nothing is such a beautiful song, which Faye Rourke wrote uh, during lockdown in Bewley's Cafe on Grafton Street she was in there on her own uh, playing on the, the piano that they have upstairs that's where she wrote that song Why Die for Danzig is I mean how that wasn't a single I don't know Boys another one that, that stands out they're all really really great songs and I think one of the the main reasons for the sound being even better than it was on, on a Small Talk their debut album is that Adam O'Regan 
has really excelled in, in in the studio in terms of his production skills uh have really really improved and i just look at them uh, going like they, uh, i look at them and think they are uh, a collection of four musicians who are at the top of their game and uh this is a really really wonderful album i don't think there's any weak tracks on it i, I was listening to it on the on the way out to do this podcast and i was like every song i was thinking yeah great song great song yeah they experiment with a couple of different sounds on this as well like boys very much sounds like it's from the 90s pop era and thematically i guess some of what they're talking about from the album title through to tracks like Mid- midnight show and bad machine are kind of about the music industry for better or worse um faye told me in an interview for the point of everything podcast that we did in the summer that um talking about midnight show uh it was something where i was coming from that place of examining the industry and questioning whether to submit to it or not because that is always the thing you have that voice and you're going should i just give up and become an instagram influencer and do that and submit myself to the prostitution of everything so a lot of that is coming from what she calls that subconscious place um commenting on the cultural situation but yeah you also have the likes of why die for danzig which is a different type of idea that they're tackling which is a kind of a response to war which i guess now sounds even more timely it's a really good album yeah Yeah. and i I think as well like they they were all kind of reached their their 30s and thought ah like are we too old to be doing this you know should we should we not be doing something else with our with our lives and and thankfully decided no that um it is it is worthwhile to keep going with soda blondes and hopefully yeah they'll they'll continue to make music together for for many more years i had to realize to begin to survive i gaze to the satellite Murder Capital are next up for their second album, Gigi's Recovery. I was surprised to see that they didn't get a Choice Prize nomination for their 2019 album, When I Have Fears. We saw them on that tour, the yeah. When I Have Fears tour. I don't think I saw them last year. I, th- I saw no. them at All Together Now the previous year, and I think we got some snippets of songs, but I actually really, really like this album. Yeah, me too. The Murder Capital. It's it's probably another one of those where you're kind of listening to it in the shadow of that debut album, and you're kind of thinking it's not quite as immediate maybe as the first album, but it does kind of get going, and it's one that I found myself returning to a lot over the course of 2023. Yeah, like it came out in January, didn't it? It did, yeah, yeah. I I remember listening to it so much those first few weeks of of last year. Like I've been a fan of the Murder Capital. I think similar to you since the very start. And if you remember, remember Connor Wynn from um, Otherkin, he was involved with a live video of the Murder Capital performing the song "More Is Less." That was kind of like their introduction to the world. I remember seeing them play 
an industrial showcase gig upstairs in Whelan's shortly after that and the place was packed and then I saw them in Vicker Street with you in late 2019 which was like memorable for several reasons one of which was Junior Brother doing a stage dive into the crowd um, and I, I look I really like the band's debut album When I Have Fears so I'm saying all, all, all of this because I, I've been a fan of them since the start but I, like I was also a fan who saw that they had like a way to go and they were like fairly long way off becoming the finished article and I, I felt like at times their live performance they, they hammed it up way too much on stage to the point where their some of the stage presence was nearly borderline off-putting and I think their tone was a bit too serious and orchestrated it was a bit too intentional uh, and I, I on that debut I'm like, I think they got the tempo wrong and um, it, it felt really really stop start and I actually felt that at, at that gig in Vicker Street as well. I don't know if you if you, re, if you remember that. There were times when the, the energy of the crowd was incredible and then it would all slow down for 10 minutes with, with a couple of really far too slow songs where it was, it was, it was down tempo and you're kind of going, oh, lads, like you've, you you need to like capitalize on this energy from the crowd. So with all of that, I, I felt like here's a really good band, but they've got a long way to go. And then this second album came out so maybe there was a question mark around the longevity of the band because you're thinking, well, if they don't do it with this album, you know, how where where are they going to go next? But I I think they really really nailed it because Gigi's recovery is such a good album. I think they got the balance right with the song selection, uh, and the songs are are better than anything that they've written before on. And you can tell just by listening to the songs as well that here's a, a collection of musicians who have worked really, really hard to become better musicians and better songwriters. Like they, you can tell that they've worked so hard at doing that and they've already kind of nailed the live performances. And then you kind of look at, well, where are they going to go after this? And, you know, it's just been announced that they're going to be supporting Pearl Jam this summer, not just in Dublin, but on their European and UK leg of their world tour. So they're going to be performing with Pearl Jam in Dublin, but also Manchester, London, a couple of dates in Berlin, a couple of dates in Barcelona, which is huge. Yeah. Um, well done to them. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, they were saying that they lived with that first album for so long because of the pandemic that they had been ready to go for ages, but they just, you know, they got a lot of mileage out of it for better or worse and that they butted heads a lot in the studio trying to figure out the sound that they wanted going forward. And I think there are a lot of different styles in Gigi's recovery as well. James, the singer, told Enemy, I think a huge part of writing this record was realizing that you have to really take responsibility for yourself and your own demons so that you don't take them out on the people around you and the people you love the most. Which, when you read stuff like that, you're like, geez, how close did Murder Capital get to breaking up during the recording of this album? Glad that they didn't. Excited to see what comes next. But yeah, this is an album that really does reward uh, repeat plays.
Scratch are up for their, I think it's their second album, Mind Yourself. Um, I don't think that the Scratch are for everybody. Uh, I got a taste of that at a show that I was lucky to be at at the RDS in, I think it was October. It was um, RT100, I think it was called. A load of different acts were playing kind of songs throughout the decades, kind of well-known songs, and they did a cover of the Pogue Sally McLernane, which oh, yeah. everybody knows that it. song. Oh, it's brilliant. But the Scratch, the Scratches version, I think, very much divided the crowd. Really slow, oh. sludgy, metal kind of version. Yeah. But that's what the Scratch are, yeah. isn't it? They, like the Lancome lads, come from a metal background, and you can hear that throughout the Scratch's work. You can hear it on a lot of uh, the songs on this album, which gets really, really heavy. But then there are some really tender moments as well. I think the highlight of the whole album is right in the middle. It's a track called Shoes, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, but then you have such fun tracks as well, like Cheeky Bastard, which just leaves a smile on my face uh, every time that I listen to it. They're a really fun band, album not for everybody. Uh, it is very much for me. It's called Mind Yourself. They give you those extreme feelings of real sadness, I suppose, in shoes or real joy in Cheeky Bastard. But ultimately, I think theirs is a very positive message that they're trying to preach uh, of positive mental health what about you john are you a fan of uh, the scratch remind yourself yeah i am like I, I love the scratch i'm delighted to see them being nominated for the choice delighted to see them being signed to sony and supporting the dropkick murphys on tour but you're right like the like a key feature of their music is great musicianship laced with um really uh, great sense of humor you know um this album feels like chapter two nearly in the career of the scratch because there was a real buzz around the band when they first started releasing music in 2017 and especially with the the band's live performances i mean it, it was real kind of word of mouth stuff but a, a lot of people were talking about you have to see the scratch live they're they're incredible and they mix as i said really great musicianship and songs with lots of of humor on stage and lots of energy as well and the, the crowd kind of feeds off that and what you have then is a is a wonderful atmosphere and you, you can't kind of help but, but smile when you're standing there watching them performing live uh on stage and similar to i guess two of the other acts that we've mentioned already in the podcast uh Lancome and john francis flynn and probably rachel lavelle as well you kind of listen to their music and you think to yourself i'm pretty sure i've never heard this type of music done before i mean with regards to the scratches elements of trad and folk and metal um and they've They've come out at the end of COVID with, with new songs and a new kind of confident sound. And I think collectively the four of them own of this determination now to make this band a success because during COVID, I, I interviewed the Scratch when this album came out and during COVID they, they had a talk about, well, should we continue? And if so, what direction should we go in? And they went away to the Beekeepers on a, on a writing retreat and they wrote some songs which sonically kind of set the tone for the album. The songs that they wrote were very different to anything that they'd done before. So there was, they were a lot more kind of ambient. Uh, there was a lot more atmospheric elements, all of which you, you can hear uh, throughout the songs on the album at different parts. Um, so these kind of new elements were introduced to their sound. They also had a lot more riffs 
when they came away from that retreat with a collection of songs that didn't really sound like anything that they'd done before. And that kind of confused them because they were going, well, what direction are we going in? These are very kind of unscratch-like songs. Will it maybe alienate some of the, the fans that we've, we've you know, built up over the last few years? And it wasn't until James Vincent McMorrow got on board as producer that that changed because he said to them, stop thinking about how you think the scratch should sound and just go and enjoy the, the creative process and see where it takes you. And the end result of that was that uh, the lads stopped overthinking it and, ins- and instead just enjoyed the music. And the end result is this album, Mind Yourself, which is a, a wonderful, wonderful album. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned uh, Shoes earlier. Uh, Giordo, who wrote the song, uh, he said that it's about a land dispute between my family and another family, which in itself is like... I didn't know that. You don't hear that too often. Uh, he said he didn't want to go too much into it, but uh, he said, yeah, the classic themes of drinking and death come into it as well. So there, there's all of that classic Irish stuff there. to Ezra Williams supernumeraries uh the I guess that this was probably the biggest surprise in terms of the shortlist wasn't it John just yeah. because I, I don't remember hearing many critics kind of mentioning this album that much um in in the run-up to it I didn't see many predictions with it on it but it's a real nice warm hug of an album mm. uh I think from Ezra Williams who's from Wicklow Cork based um released last summer yeah, I mean, at the start of this podcast, I, I talked about the fact that the, the, the shortlist was very predictable. But if, if you're looking for one example of an album that wasn't predictable, it is Super Numeraries from Ezra Williams. And I'm, I'm just really like, I'm delighted that, that they're on the shortlist. Um, and it's, it, it's really good that an, an album that is maybe a bit left field made it onto the, onto the shortlist. And well done to the judges, because as you know, in terms of the, the judging process, probably three, four judges would have had to have super numeries high up on their list for it to to make it onto the shortlist so so well done i like i don't know ezra williams too well if i'm being honest uh i've played all of their singles on the radio shows that i've done over the last few years like back as far as when they were known as smooth boy ezra so i'm a fan obviously but i i wouldn't know a huge amount about them or this album but the one thing that i've always taken from their music is is their voice, their vocals, there's so much honesty and vulnerability and, and kind of openness in it. And listening to this, you get a sense of, of someone that's, you know, very much willing to to open themselves up and, and, and let you in. 
the style of music that's on this album, Supernumeries, is that kind of really nice lo-fi sound that is quite popular at the moment and it makes you think of the likes of Soccer Mummy and Julian Baker and Lucy Dacus and they're all kind of US, really well-known US alt-folk artists who are very, very popular at the moment. It's it's a really, really nice album. I think Deep Rooted is a beauty of a song, by the way. Yeah, um, you mentioned Smooth Boy Ezra there. So just so people know, Smooth Boy Ezra released some tracks on SoundCloud about a decade ago when they were just in their... Is it that long ago? Yeah, yeah. I think when they were in their early teens, maybe mid-teens, um, and kind of took a break, changed the name, which I think is interesting. It's, I always go back to Villagers uh, with this. He says um, on their debut album, it's called Becoming a Jackal, and it took him a long time to realize that he wanted to be a lot more direct in his songwriting than, you know, writing in metaphor like Becoming a Jackal. And I think that's probably one of the ideas behind the name change from Smooth Boy Ezra to Ezra Williams. Because, yeah, like you say, this is a really tender album. You can imagine people listening to this like under their bed sheets, you know, like really helping them in, I guess, in a way to how the scratch might help people uh, as well. But yeah, really, really nice album. Um, touches on themes of queerness gender identity and neurodiversity as well all really really interesting ideas that they're um championing uh the way we're talking about it uh, you know we're saying that it's a surprise that the album is nominated but um it's just great to see the spotlight shone on someone like ezra ezra williams um really really good album and just like that john we made it to the end. We made it to the end without any arguments. Uh, hopefully we were uh, semi-coherent anyway in uh, our discussion of the 10 acts who are up for the Choice Prize Album of the Year, which will be decided on March 7th at a live show at Vicker Street. As I speak, I think seven of the acts nominated are going to be performing on the night. It's one right. of my favorite nights of the year. I'm sure it's one of your favorite nights of the year as well. Yeah, it is easily one of my favorite nights of the year. Um, you get to see the best of the best performing live on stage, 15 minute set from each. And then you get to have this great discussion with whoever's around you about who's going to win, who's going to win. And quite often you're surprised. By the winner. <laughs> well, who is going to win, John? Or, or not surprised, maybe. This is what the people want to hear. Who is going to win? I think Soda Blonde are going to win. I think that their style of music is the style of music that the majority of judges are probably going to go for in the end. Just to let people know, there's 10 albums obviously shortlisted, but quite quickly during the judging process, that gets narrowed down to maybe three albums, maybe four albums. And from there, the judges have to decide, okay, well, which of these three or four albums is going to be become Irish album of the year. I I would I would love if Kojak won for Phantom of the Afters. I think that or Rachel Lavelle won or Soda Blonde. Like I'd love if or John Francis. Won. I'm just going to name them all. No, I'm not. No. So I I I would love if any of those won. But I just think that the judges might go for Soda Blonde. What do you like? Because like CMAT won it last year. They're not going to give it to CMAT. Lancome have only just won it like three years ago. They're not going to give it to Lancome. Um, the Murder Capital, uh, the Scratch. And Ezra Williams, I think, will be very much dark horses. So if I was a betting man, I'd say Soda Blondes. What do I, you think? Yeah, I, I kind of disagree just because I would, I would like to think that album of the year last year doesn't come into it. It's the album of the year for, for uh, you know, this year. 2020, 2023, I didn't explain that right, right but uh, <laughs> hopefully people know what I mean. CMAT, I think, has made a better album 
than her debut album. Yes. Um, even though it might take a long time to kind of um, get to that place, um, even though we all still love I Want to Be a Cowboy Baby, uh, I think personally it'll cut. Co- well, I mean, I said at the outset, it's a lot of radio judges on the judging panel. And I think that's probably where Soda Blonde might come into it. I think they've made a really radio friendly album, not a criticism. Um, And I could see judges going for that because they hear these big bombastic songs and they think I want to play this uh, on the radio if they haven't already. Hang on, so you're agreeing with me here? Have you uh, talked yourself no, around? No, no, I'm, I'm kind of saying I can see, I can see where you got to sort of land, John. Uh, personally, I think it's between CMAT and Lancome. Both have made really, really strong albums. Granted, they've won the choice prize before, but CMAT is also doing so well for herself. She was on the Graham Norton show. She's up for a Brit alongside Kylie Minogue. Uh, I think the Crazy Mad for me is probably up there. I'd probably say it's ahead of false lancum in terms of what i think will win so i guess my final answer i talk myself into it is cmat crazy mad for me retaining the choice prize two in a row Whew. she's the she's the man city of <laughs> irish music well she does have a song called vincent company he's True. a he's a city legend so yeah i suppose she is the man city of the irish music scene um anything else you want to add no i'm just really looking forward to the night and to be honest i know this sounds like a cliche but i'd be Really happy regardless of, of, of who wins uh, on the night. I think all 10 albums are, are really good. And I would say the judges are going to have a very hard time trying to decide. I, I'd love to be a fly in the wall. I'd actually love to be one of the judges, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> Jim Carroll, please, you know, I'm free next year. But um, yeah, it, it should be a really interesting night. And uh, I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait for the glass afterwards. <laughs> Cool. Thanks, John. I always enjoy uh, this podcast. I always enjoy uh, chatting through all of the... It's our favorite thing to do, I think, just chatting about Irish music. Uh, So thanks again for doing this. And Thank you, Owen. See you at Vicker Street. See you on March the 7th. (laughs) 